Therefore, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, yea, a marvelous work and a wonder. 2 Nephi chapter 27, verse 26. Hey listeners, this is Nick from Book of Mormon Central, and today's podcast addresses the question, why is the timing of the Book of Mormon's translation so marvelous? The Book of Mormon presents itself to the world as a miracle and a sign that God has begun the process of gathering scattered Israel, as he anciently covenanted to do. For this and many other reasons, believers have naturally been interested in the details of its coming forth, including the timing of its translation. Various historical sources combine to prove that the English text of the Book of Mormon, as it was published in 1830, was essentially translated between April 7th and June 30th, 1829. Fortunately, ongoing research has expanded and refined our understanding of many things that happened during and around these crucial three months. Drawing upon this research, the following summaries demonstrate why people can be confident that the vast majority of the Book of Mormon was translated within that narrow window of time. Anchor Dates Compelling data confirm the dates of five key events during the translation timeline. Regarding the first, Oliver Cowdery stated that he first arrived in Harmony, Pennsylvania in the evening of April 5, 1829, that he helped Joseph with some business of a temporal nature on April 6, and that on the very next day, April 7, he commenced to write the Book of Mormon as Joseph's scribe. Remarkably, a legal document discovered not long ago at a county courthouse near Harmony, Pennsylvania, bears Oliver's handwriting and signature. It demonstrates that he served as a witness to an agreement dated April 6, 1829, between Joseph Smith and his father-in-law, Isaac Hale. On that day, Joseph purchased property from Hale, on which stood the log cabin that Joseph and his wife Emma were living in. Oliver's signature confirms that he was indeed with Joseph in Harmony on April 6, 1829. And now we know the nature of that notable temporal matter that he helped Joseph with on that precise day. Such accuracy strongly invites and builds trust that Oliver was also correct about beginning his work as a scribe the very next day, April 7th. He and Joseph worked in what we now know was Joseph's newly purchased home, a place where they could hopefully work without disruptions. Four other dates, including the day by which the translation was surely completed, June 30th, are each supported by other similarly credible documentation. Together, these five dates have been referred to as anchor dates because they help anchor reported details to specific days within the proposed translation timeline. Time needed to receive and deliver additional revelations. Thirteen revelations, each included in the Doctrine and Covenants, as well as a document called the Articles of the Church of Christ, were written during the time when the Book of Mormon was being translated. Not only do some of the words in those revelations correspond to details in historical reports of certain events during April, May, and June 1829, but in several cases, they reflect words or ideas found in the Book of Mormon translation itself. This suggests that as the content of the Book of Mormon was received, further revelations and inspiration may have built upon what had just been revealed in its pages. While any proposed relationships between these revelations and the Book of Mormon remain tentative, interesting analyses help locate which portions of the Book of Mormon may have been produced at particular points during the translation timeline. Whatever their relationship to passages in the Book of Mormon, receiving, delivering, 
and recording these additional revelations surely added another layer of time and distraction away from the already onerous and urgent translation. Time needed to attend to practical tasks and needs. In addition, several practical matters arose during the time of the translation that required time and attention, as has been independently confirmed by documentary evidence. For instance, Joseph once commented upon his poverty during the period of translation and that he petitioned the Lord for help. Joseph mentioned that shortly after his brother Samuel arrived, sometime in May, a Mr. Joseph Knight several times brought us supplies, a distance of at least 30 miles, which enabled us to continue the work of translation. Knight's own account perfectly agrees with the situation. He repeatedly commented upon Joseph's poverty, mentioned his multiple visits to supply Joseph and Oliver with necessary provisions, and he even mentioned that Samuel Smith was present at the home. Historian Richard Lloyd Anderson described Knight's recollection as a talkative account that displays little awareness of what the prophet had independently said. In about 20 cases, details such as these help flesh out the proposed timeline. They also help confirm that the translators were accurate and truthful in their description of events and circumstances surrounding the translation. Estimating the Timing of the Translation When combined together, the established anchor dates, revelations, and other supporting historical details give a nuanced and consistent view of the timing of the translation. On its face, the time frame between April 7th and June 30th allows 85 possible days for the translation, but we know that on many of these days, the translators were also engaged in other activities, doing farm chores, entertaining visitors, making trips to Colesville, receiving priesthood authority and additional revelations, baptizing Samuel and Hiram Smith, moving from Harmony to Fayette, acquiring the Book of Mormon's copyright, and so forth. Book of Mormon scholar John W. Welch has suggested that with these known disruptions and time constraints accounted for, not many more than the equivalent of about 60 actual working days would have been available in April, May, and June 1829. Terrell Givens described this rate of translation as truly prodigious, and Welch concluded that by any standard, the pace was blistering. Translation Experiments Some may wonder if translating the entire Book of Mormon in so short a time was even humanly possible. In order to answer this question, Welch calculated how quickly the translators would have needed to work in order to accomplish their task in the allotted time. Welch explained, several of the resulting hours per day and words per minute options yield elapsed time figures that fall within the realm of feasibility, but the latitude is not wide. In order to test these estimated possibilities, Welch and his wife, Jeannie, informally replicated the process of translation as described by the witnesses, with one of them dictating the text and the other acting as scribe. They then recorded how many words they were able to produce per minute on average. They found the experience to be so insightful that they then tested out the process in their stake scripture class. Their combined results, while not strictly scientific, suggest that a translation rate of right around 20 words per minute was quite possible. Yet those who participated also felt that they couldn't have sustained that pace very long without time for breaks. They reported, Our hands got tired, and the one playing Joseph needed to catch his or her breath and clear his or her voice. Moreover, they were using ballpoint pens, 
whereas Oliver Cowdery would have often needed some time to dip his quill pen and refill it with ink. Thus, while it is difficult to determine exactly how quickly on average the translation was carried out, it reasonably fell within the needed estimated range, 10 to 20 words per minute, in order for the entire project to have been completed between April 7th and June 30th. This recent data and analysis demonstrate that the historical documents relating to this somewhat obscure chapter in early Latter-day Saint history interlock more accurately than might otherwise have been expected. As a result, readers can now trust, better than ever before, that the Book of Mormon was truly dictated in an astonishingly short amount of time. Lengthy novels often take many months and sometimes even years to write. The process usually involves preliminary research, long periods of creating and revising multiple drafts, and collaborative editing. The Book of Mormon, however, was produced in a very different manner. Its 269,510 words, originally printed onto 588 pages, were revealed to Joseph Smith through divinely prepared translation instruments. Between April 7th and June 30th, Joseph Smith dictated these words day after day, for hours on end, in the presence of multiple scribes and witnesses, without any outlines, preliminary drafts, working notes, reference materials, or substantive revisions. The rapid pace of the Book of Mormon's translation under these unique circumstances can help readers understand, at least in part, why the Lord referred to it as a marvelous work and a wonder. Such a feat would surely be impressive, even coming from a skilled and accomplished writer. Yet coming from Joseph Smith, a 23-year-old farmer with little formal education and no literary achievements to speak of, it is truly wondrous. As Welch concluded, awareness of how the Book of Mormon came forth may inform, if not transform, a reader's reception of it in several ways. It amplifies the significance of many kinds of details, can generate new questions, helps provide more developed answers, and may add to any reader's literary and devotional appreciation of the Book of Mormon and of its openly stated purposes. In sum, the feat of bringing forth the Book of Mormon within its tight time frame increases appreciation for the achievement of the Prophet Joseph Smith, which can, in turn, increase awe and reverence for God and the Word of God. Thank you for listening. To find out more, please visit bookofmormoncentral.org and then click on Know Why.